Hello and welcome to the Ear Fuel Podcast. As always, I'm Joel Freemark, and you can get me on Twitter at at GetEarFuel and at The Daily Guru. The podcast is available in the iTunes store under EarFuel and at SoundCloud.com slash GetEarFuel. No interview this week because Rolling Stone magazine once again showed how clueless they are about music, and I have to address it. But before we get into that, a quick album review. The record I want to discuss this week is the new one from Allison Miller's project, Allison Miller's Boom Tick Boom. And the record is called, oh, I love this album title, Otis Was a Polar Bear. Now, for those of you who think jazz innovation ended long ago, wake up, get a clue. The genre is alive and well, and it's people like Allison Miller who continue to push the style forward. Getting one thing out of the way. If you know nothing about jazz, you know, if you're, if you're one of those people who's intimidated by the idea of jazz, this is still something you want to check out because I feel the record is still very accessible. It's not to say it's somehow a lesser achievement in jazz or something like that, because I actually feel quite the opposite. I, for the most part, these are magnificent works of jazz, but they also have an appeal that's going to be able to grab some non-jazz you know, heads as well. The opening two tracks are just brilliant. Fluster is a fantastic opening that leaves you wanting much, much more, and the deep swinging grooves on the song High T... So damn good, really. The way that the progressions weave around in uh, one another on high T, they made me think back to when I used to go see Fish Live and some of their improvisational jams. Now, I mean that in the nicest way possible. I'm not saying it's like a jam band or some hippie stuff, but if you listen to them both, you'll get what I'm going with here. The band seems to go all over the place on this record, from those deep grooves I was talking about to an almost uh, free jazz feel. Then there's wonderfully cool jazz sounds, and there are even moments where they basically get psychedelic. The song Hoarding the Pod combines so many elements together. It's one of the best examples of how you give classic jazz a clearly modern twist. The hypnotic bass on the track Shimmer perfectly complements the great piano lead there, and then there's almost folky sounds on the title track, and it shows just how wide a range of talents exist within the group. And of course, all of this is outside of Allison's drumming, which, as you'd expect from someone who's leading the band, is phenomenal. So many different styles, and, and it's rare that you can hear what it means for a drummer to lead a band, and that is truly what's going on here. If you've ever been looking for an example of how that's pulled off, this is a masterclass. There's no way of getting around the fact that these songs are much brighter and more vibrant than their last outing, but as I see it, it's very much a good thing in this case. The additional instrumentation allows these songs to enter an entirely new realm of unpredictability, and that, to me, is what really carries this record. There's moments where you can feel classical influences, just as there are moments that you can feel, I don't know, uh, jazz noir to an extent, I guess. Allison Miller and her band just present so many fantastic variations that the record is nothing short of a joy to experience. And, and I think that's the difference. Where their previous release was, I don't know, dark and stormy to an extent, this is almost an after-the-storm type feeling. Like, the band knows they went through some truly rough times together, and this is a unique lament on brighter times. Also, I mean, the album title, come on. It's, 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 it's my favorite album title in a very, very long time. Regardless, this record is absolutely wonderful, and music lovers across the board need to get their ears on it. So go do that right now. Thank me later. Moving on. This week, I want to talk about two things in one. Punk rock and Rolling Stone magazine. Now, those two are rarely said in the same breath, as almost since their inception, Rolling Stone has been so clueless about the genre, it really makes you wonder if they have even the most basic understanding of the style. 
That's why I was a bit more than intrigued when they decided to release their clickbait-heavy list of, quote, the 40 greatest punk albums of all time. Now, as a rule, Rolling Stone's lists suck. They're always the safe picks. They rarely contain any deep or even slightly lesser-known albums. They basically make them so people are reminded that at one time, Rolling Stone was a great source for music information. But for more than a decade, it's been little more than a gossip rag, pandering to the lowest common denominator of music fan. Safe to assume that this list appeared when it did, since the self-titled debut from the Ramones, it's going to turn 40 years old on April 23rd, and Rolling Stone is just hoping to hop on the hype bandwagon. Regardless, this list generated a lot of discussion, and I certainly have some thoughts. Once I'm done discussing their list, I'll give you what I think are the 10 greatest punk albums ever. But before we do any of that, let's discuss briefly exactly what punk rock is and a bit of its history so we're all on the same page here. Punk, at least to me, is more an attitude or a spirit than it is a sound. I'll argue that punk is basically aggressive folk music. Both of them are are really music of the people, so to speak. And so by that line of thinking, I do in fact see Woody Guthrie as the first punk rocker. However, I totally understand why people feel punk rock started somewhere between 1967 and 1975. And for the sake of this argument, we're going to work with that more common school of thought. It's going to save us a lot of time and trouble. So if we take that as the truth, where and how does punk rock start from that approach? Some will say it started in London. Some will say it started in New York City. Me, I say Detroit, Michigan, 1969. That's where you have both the Kick Out the Jams album by the MC5, as well as the self-titled debut from The Stooges. Yeah, I know, for all you music geeks out there, the Sonics and the Monks had done the same thing a few years earlier, and I get the sort of theoretical punk approach people see in the Velvet Underground. But for me, the MC5 and The Stooges is where we have to begin. For those of you who think that punk is just mindless, uh, low-talent dirge with screaming, check out either of these bands and enjoy being wrong. Both of them have insane levels of talent, they're heavy on message, and ugh, do they have riffs for you. Anyway, their influence would lead to styles like glam punk, that's groups like the New York Dolls, or more minimalist approaches where you get groups like Suicide, or you get kind of the more technical sound in groups like Devo or Talking Heads, you also get hardcore like Minor Threat, and of course then that kind of best known style of punk which covers everyone from the Ramones to the Clash and so many others. That all being said, folks like to focus on the U.S. and the U.K. as the beginnings of punk rock. But the reality is, with groups like Radio Birdman, The Saints, and others, there were Australian bands doing that classic punk sound years earlier. We'll get into that and who was first in a little bit. So, punk rock. For some, it's about leather jackets, spiked hair, and posing out. And for others, it's about a state of mind, a punk rock lifestyle, if you will. Punk is, at its most basic about doing the exact thing you wanted to do without a care of what other people think. Or, as Joe Strummer from The Clash said, it's an ability to trust your own judgment. I mean, just because you played at CBGB, it doesn't make you punk. And just because your record sold millions, it doesn't make it a good one. It makes it a popular one. Jumping back to Rolling Stone, they took about the most liberal meaning of punk possible, and they're letting it mean everything from Patti Smith to Stink 182 to the Sex Pistols, and there's a number of interpretations of punk they make where I think they're dead wrong. So you know what? Let's move on from the history and just dive in, shall we? From the bottom up, Rolling Stone's 40 greatest punk albums of all time bring us the Dead Kennedys and Devo in numbers 40 and 39, respectively. We're already off to a bad start. A very, very, very bad start indeed. These two bands are foundations 
for countless later groups. And such a low mention is just, I mean, it's kind of missing the point of a list like this. For me, both of these bands are somewhere between probably number 12 and 20, with the Kennedys record actually being the more important of the two. Whether it was because of Jello Biafra's influence, the staying power of tracks like Holiday in Cambodia and California Uberalis, or the fact that damn near every band since points to them as an influence, having them barely making their list, it's just insulting. With Devo, they're the bridge between new wave, punk, and so many other sounds, and their Are We Not Men, We Are Devo record, it's, it is absolute genius. Nobody could touch their sound, and they remain iconic and unique to this day. So if you're wondering why I'm so frustrated, let's see who's at number 38 and 37. Oh, those spots belong to White Lung and Blink-182, and while one is far too recent and unoriginal to make such a list, the other is an absolute joke. Blink-182 is not punk. It's not. They are a pop band, plain and simple. Yeah, I know, they have tattoos and silly hair, but to call them punk is an insult to the genre and shows a complete lack of understanding of the music. There is no way you can convince me otherwise. It's simply not a punk rock record. Let's move on. Coming in at 36 and 35 are two classics, again, too low on the list, Crass and Fugazi. Now, the fact that Crass are on this list suddenly gives it some credibility, really. But I think this should actually be somewhere in the late 20s. With Fugazi, this is a band many people will argue as the greatest band of their generation. This is at lowest, maybe 11 or 12. Fugazi are outright icons, and while I understand Rolling Stone picking the compilation of their first two records, dropping them into the 30s, it just makes no sense. I will say, selections 34, 33, and 32 leave me very little argument. It's Joy Division, The Slits, and The Misfits. Now, I could argue The Misfits needing to be higher. I could, but as good as Walk Among Us is, and it's damn good, I love that record, uh, The Misfits' early catalog is better than any single album, and if we're just going with a single album, I understand why they are in this position. Selection number 31 is nothing more than a poser pick. Yeah, yeah, yeahs are not a punk band. It's indie rock. There is a ton of space between those two sounds, and this record should not be near such a list. Rolling Stone has this on there so they can feel edgy. It's that easy. 30 and 29, again, records I won't argue with. Sonic Youth and The Replacements. Both are killer albums. I'm fine with them being in these positions, but I might have chosen a different Sonic Youth album. I don't know. We'll see. 28 and 27 should both be about half a dozen spots higher. It's the Germs GI and the complete discography collection from Minor Threat. The latter basically started, you know what, not basically, the latter did start hardcore music in its formal sense, and the Germs, I mean, they're the Germs. They are the right records for both groups, but they are absolutely in the wrong spot. The same, but uh, slightly opposite, goes for 25 and 26. It's Flipper and Mission of Burma, two bands that must be on this list. But if both dropped into the 30s, I probably wouldn't argue. Great and important records for sure, but others below are more so. Now, as we crack the top 25, we're going to start seeing an infuriating trend in the picks that Rolling Stone made. We've already seen four compilations or greatest hits records, uh, so keep track as we move forward. And remember, we're supposedly talking about the greatest albums of all time. Number 24 is The Jam. Now, The Jam are at best... 39 or 40. If they didn't make the list, nobody would argue and few people would even notice. Having them in the top 25 is just ridiculous. At 23, we have my hometown underground heroes, Per Ubu. But the editors went with their singles and B-side collection. This absolutely should have been their modern dance album. Having them on this list and in this spot, though, solid choice. What's that at number 22? Oh, it's a compilation of singles by Bikini Kill. 
Not only should this be their self-titled EP, but again, an album too high on the list, eh, mid to high 30s at best. Richard Hell's Blank Generation shows up at number 21 for some reason. The single is good. Eh, some days it's great, but the album is beyond forgettable. Now, this album and Richard Hell, I guess, should be buried elsewhere. If it was a list of singles, it would probably be in the late 20s. And putting the album in here was probably just the editors googling punk rock and going to the first album they didn't recognize. 20 and 19 give us two of my favorite bands, X-Ray Specs and Bad Brains, two absolutely essential groups. These are absolutely the right albums in the form of Germ-Free Adolescence and the self-titled album from the Bad Brains. You know this album, trust me, the uh, lightning bolt hitting the U.S. Capitol building. It's a self-titled album from the Bad Brains, but I feel they're both two or three spots too low. You know, Actually, you know what, now that I think about it, I could argue X-Ray Specs is a top 10 record. Without that one, you don't get the Riot Girl movement, you don't get so many female-fronted rock bands, and I mean, you know, the Bad Brains, that's just true revolution right there. They need to be higher. Now, number 18 is an album I knew would be somewhere in here. Uh, it's Green Day's Dookie. I get that people still have the urge to force Green Day into the punk genre. Fine. They're not, but fine. Even if they are, the fact that anyone sees them as more important or that this album is quote-unquote greater than Minor Threat, Fugazi, The Bad Brains, Dead Kennedys, any of those other bands, come on, get real. Maybe number 39 or 40 if I'm forced to have them on the list, but this is clickbait and candy for Hot Topic kids. Nothing more. With both number 17 and 16, I will admit I'm very biased. It's television's Marky Moon and the Descendants' Milo Goes to College album. Both of these rewrote the genre in one way or another. The television album crosses over into a number of other genres, and these happen to be two of my all-time favorite records. They are both top 10 albums for me, but I get... No, you know what? No, no. This is wrong. These are absolutely top 10 albums. I cannot come up with 15 greater punk albums than these two. So let's see what Rolling Stone came up with and have some laughs. Number 15 is the New York Dolls. This record is culturally important, probably more so than it is important to punk as a style. And it only really has two decent songs and that's it. This should probably be somewhere between 25 and 30, if even that high. It's that easy. Number 14, number 14, are you kidding me? Seriously? Sleater Kinney? Okay, one, they are not a punk band. Two, this is not a great record. Three, they are not a punk band. Get this off the list. This is total poser garbage. Lucky 13 is Husker Du's Zen Arcade, and I'm totally fine with their list position. I just happen to prefer the New Day Rising album. I'm not going to argue against Zen Arcade. I'm just saying I like New Day Rising more. Rolling Stone got this one exactly right. Okay, number 12. Uh, <laughs> people are going to get a little pissed at this one. <sighs> Patti Smith's Horses is at number 12, and for a few reasons, I don't think it should be. Patti Smith is most definitely punk. Nobody will argue that. On many levels, she embodies the entire idea of punk being a state of mind. Plenty of attitude, awesome thoughts and writing, and Lenny Kay, I mean, dude kills it, come on. But honestly, I don't think this record is as important to punk rock, again, as it is to culture as a whole. Yes, it's a cover that made people think. Yes, the songs are good. But I don't see it being a touchstone for punk rock. I really don't. This would actually barely make my own top 40 list of greatest punk albums, but I get why people want it here. Top 15, though, you're starting to push a little bit. Number 11 for Rolling Stone is the Buzzcocks Singles Going Steady, another compilation album. Yeah, I get it. It's awesome. 
but it's because it's all of the more popular songs from the Buzzcocks. This should be their album, Another Music in a Different Kitchen, and it's probably three or four spaces too high on the list regardless. They're somewhere between 15 and 20. Okay, so now we're at Rolling Stone's top 10 albums. In my opinion, when you have a top 10 list, each record should be beyond reproach, a zero-question-this-must-be-here type album, and an album that inspires and continues to do so, and in this case, exemplifies punk rock. So at number 10, we have Nirvana's Nevermind. Eh, sorry, you lose, but thanks for playing. I agree that what people labeled as grunge is largely punk rock under a different name, and this record certainly inspired a generation of rock bands, not punk bands. It's aggressive and all, I get it, but it's not even the best Nirvana album. That's in utero. I get what Rolling Stone are trying to say here. It really went against what was going on musically at the time. And yeah, I, I totally understand that. But never mind. It just doesn't fit the bill this high. And I love that record. Maybe somewhere, you know, 19, 20, 21, I wouldn't have had a problem with the record being there. But at number 10, sorry. Numbers 9 and 8 on Rolling Stone's list are actually exactly what they should be. The best from the West, in the forms of X's Los Angeles album and Black Flag's Damaged. You can't touch either of these, and having these two properly seated just shows even more how out of place that Nirvana record is. At 7 and 6, well, we continue my surprise at Rolling Stone kind of hitting it on the head, but in the back of my mind now, I know at least one top 10 album is going to be forgotten. In these spots, we have The Minutemen and Wire. Now, I might... I might push Wire down to the 10th spot, and people will be really mad about that, but having them this high on the list in general, it's essential. Pink Flag remains a touchstone for you know everyone from Minor Threat to R.E.M., and it's a damn near perfect record. The Minutemen's Double Nickels on the Dime, it's a classic. 45 songs of brilliance, and yeah, you gotta own that one. I'm fine with it being this high. Okay, so... Top five time, and it shockingly starts with Gang of Four's Entertainment album. I, I can't tell you how surprised I was to see Rolling Stone editors go out after a slightly lesser known album, but few will argue except me its importance and quality. It's got the grit, it's got the aggression you need, along with that anti-everything feel. Uh, I'm not sure if I'd have it all the way up at number five, but I'm more than fine to let it be there. Number four is the Funhouse album by the Stooges. Now, this happens to be my second favorite album of all time. It's filled with guttural chaos that spins constantly around the unparalleled frontman greatness that is Iggy Pop. This record spits in the face of everyone who thinks punk rock is mindless as it's got wild instrumentation and deep grooves. To me, this should be number one or two, but Rolling Stone have an obligation to always have the same three bands in the top three spots, and you already know all three of them and probably what records were chosen. Number three is, predictably, frustratingly, and wrongly, the Sex Pistols, never mind the bollocks. The Pistols could play, I get it, and they certainly made the image of punk well known, but for me, they're a distant fourth in terms of important English punk bands. This album should be around number 11 or 12, but Rolling Stone likes to pick things you know. Number two is the self-titled album from The Clash. Now, depending on where you put that Stooges record, this to me is the other of spots number one and two. There's not a bad second anywhere on here. And from beginning to end, it's the soundtrack to a cultural explosion. From Joe Strummer's barking vocals to the frenzy of music underneath him, there's a reason The Clash are referred to as the only band that mattered. Just listen to the UK version of White Riot and you'll understand. So as much as I think this is might be in the wrong place, kudos to Rolling Stone for not picking London Calling. So, 39 of 40 albums have been mentioned. 
And with the knowledge that on the 23rd of April, this album will turn 40 years old, and this is a top 40 list, you knew from the start that the self-titled album from the Ramones would be the number one record. I love this record. Really, I do. I play it a lot. But to be honest, I don't think it's very near the greatest punk album ever. It's probably number five or six for me. Yes, it has a blueprint for one style of punk. But in many ways, the record just doesn't have much depth. It's the same formula over and over again. And while I love that formula, and that's why we love the Ramones, that fact always knocks this one down a few spots for me. I get that the magazine were basically obligated to have this at number one. I get it. And fanboys would piss themselves if it wasn't there. But honestly, it's just not the greatest punk rock album ever. Sorry, it's, it's just not. Whew. Okay, let's take a breather for a second. Everybody breathe in. Whew, hand out. So we've gone through this entire list, and there are a number of hugely important bands that are missing. Important bands that also made great records. So to remedy that, I will give you what I think are the 10 greatest punk records ever. And I'm going to gloss lightly on those we've already discussed. We'll work from 10 to 1 because it's more suspenseful, and we're going to ignore all compilation albums because that misses the point of a great punk rock record. First up, though, a few honorable mentions that Rolling Stone felt weren't even good enough to get in their top 40. Operation Ivy's Energy album, the self-titled albums from Generation X and Rites of Spring, anything from the fall, they have to be on this list. For me, they're, they're just outside of the top 10. And the fact that they didn't even make Rolling Stone's top 40 cements what a joke of misunderstanding that list really is. For my personal top 10 list, just on the outside looking in for me are both X-Ray Specs and the Minutemen albums that Rolling Stone picked. I adore both those records, but as I put together my list, they slid into the 11th and 12th places. At number 10 is one of the two albums I knew Rolling Stone would ignore because they're completely clueless about the foundations of punk rock, and that's why number 10 absolutely must be the Saints album, I'm Stranded. Now, don't feel bad if you've never heard of them. They are absolutely the most important punk rock band to the development of that sound in Australia. Like I said, some people will say Radio Birdman. I think the Saints are more important. Now, just a few months after the Ramones released their debut, the Saints issued their single, I'm Stranded. It's the title track on this album. The release predates anything from The Clash or The Sex Pistols, and the sound is nothing short of brilliant. They have the classic punk formula perfect here, and they're one of those bands that never get enough credit for their importance. Numbers 9 and 8 for me are Black Flag's Damaged album and The Descendants' Milo Goes to College. Now, if I were letting myself include compilation records like Rolling Stone did, I might swap that Black Flag album out for their first four years compilation. In some ways, it's, it's kind of more true to the core of their sound, but I totally get why Damaged is there. It's a touchstone record, and Milo Goes to College, that's eh, perfect. My pick at number seven is another album completely absent from Rolling Stone's list, and that's the Ruts' 1978 release, The Crack. Genius does not cover this album well enough. This is where you'll find punk rock actually having some mainstream appeal, if anyone in the mainstream actually gave this a shot. The songwriting is top-notch, as is the musicianship, and yet there's all the anger and attitude you could possibly want. The band is absolutely brilliant, and Malcolm Owen was an exceptional frontman. To me, this is a band that would have taken over the world if Malcolm Owen hadn't died, and you must must own this album regardless of what kind of music you're into. Reordering Rolling Stone's lists, number six, five, and four on mine are Pink Flag, the self-titled Ramones record, and Marquee Moon. 
That's right. Like I said, first Ramones record, it's not a top five for me. It's at number six. Now, since I already said that The Clash and The Stooges occupy spots two and one for me, respectively, the only other album I need to reveal is what I have at number three. And oh, wait, wait, wait. On a side note, the first album from The Clash, one of my all-time favorite records, there are actually two different versions. There are takes of songs on the U.S. pressings that are different from those on the U.K. version. And I really feel for the proper bite and fury and really to just get why this album's so important, you have to hear the U.K. version. It's very easy to find, but there are huge differences between them. That being said, when I first started reading the Rolling Stone list, I said to myself, if they overlook this one record, the record we're going to get to, this list will have zero credibility for me. That's right. One album nullified the entire list for me. Why, you ask? Good question. Thanks for asking. You're really listening well. If we're talking about the greatest punk albums here, which supposedly we are, we're talking about both impact and influence. And we've already discussed how most people see New York City and London as the two epicenters for the punk explosion. Yet... Rolling Stone completely ignored the band that really started punk rock in London. Newsflash, it wasn't The Clash, nor was it The Sex Pistols. It was The Damned. More than a month before either of those groups released anything, The Damned put out their single, New Rose. And it remains a killer tune, and it brought all the angst you could possibly need in a song. It comes from their first full-length album called Damned, Damned, Damned. And you'd be very hard-pressed to find a better punk rock album. More to the point... Few bands in history have exemplified the not giving a crap what you think and doing things their own way approach as consistently as The Damned. From their music to their live shows, The Damned are the epitome of punk rock, and there are few bands in the genre that don't pull at least some of their approach from these pioneers. So yeah, the fact that Rolling Stone had them nowhere on their list, it gives the list zero credibility for me. These are originators who still do it and did it better than damn near anybody. Running down the top 10 again quickly, The Saints I'm Stranded, Black Flagged Damaged, The Descendants, Milo Goes to College, The Ruts Doing the Crack, Wire's Pink Flag, The Ramones' first album, Television's Marquee Moon, Damned, 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 the UK version of the first Clash record, and The Stooges' Funhouse. Now, at some point down the road, I will do a far more thorough history of punk rock as I feel it's one of the more disparaged genres out there. But for this podcast, I wanted to keep it brief just to kind of discuss these lists. In short, Rolling Stone's greatest albums and greatest songs lists are almost always like a kiddie pool. Lukewarm, shallow, and they contain more crap than you should probably be comfortable exposing yourself to. To wrap things up this week, I've got a bit of a twist on the weekly Ear Fuel listening assignment. For those of you new to the podcast, each episode I assign an album to listen to from beginning to end without interruptions or distractions. It stems from the idea that these days music has become a background task. You're at the gym, you're at work, you're driving, whatever. And this weekly assignment is about listening to music for the sake of the music alone. This week, it's going to be listener's choice. Woohoo! Basically, that happened. Basically, pick any one album from my punk rock top 10 list that you haven't heard before and go give it a spin. Every one of the albums I listed is solid from beginning to end, and they all take a slightly different approach to the punk rock sound. So that's what your assignment is. Go get your punk on. And when you're done, hit me up on Twitter at, at the Daily Guru or at Get Ear Fuel and let me know which record you chose and what you thought of it. Thanks for tuning in this week, and as always, the podcast is available in the iTunes store under EarFuel and at SoundCloud.com slash GetEarFuel. And hey, if you dug the podcast, go tell a friend or two. That is your weekly EarFuel. Share and enjoy. <laughs>